0: Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this episode, I am speaking with legendary cabaret artist Jeff Harner, who has been dazzling New York City cabaret audiences for literally decades. And now, after over fifteen years, he is bringing back one of his iconic shows, A Collective Sigh, that features the incredible music of Emmy, Grammy, and Tony-winning songwriter Cy Coleman. After doing a few shows down here in Florida, near where I am, Jeff and a collective sigh will be returning to New York's Birdland on January 31st at 7 p.m. The Evening of Songs will include, obviously, some of Cy Coleman's iconic standards like The Best is Yet to Come, Witchcraft, Hey Look Me Over, and more. But they will also include some surprises from Coleman's six-decade career, including songs from Sweet Charity, City of Angels, and Wildcat. And, as Jeff tells me in our conversation, perhaps a song that was supposed to be in one of those shows, but never exactly made it. We will have a link to where you can purchase tickets to see A Collective sigh at Birdland on January 31st at 7 p.m. in the show notes, as well as information on how and where you can follow Jeff online. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff Harner. All right, Jeff, A Collective sigh a wonderfully punny uh, cabaret name if I've ever heard one. Uh, this is a show that you have been doing for... Quite a long time, a number of years, over a decade. If I'm if I'm correct, why is this a show that you keep coming back to um, over the over the years?
1: Well, <laughs> actually, Matt, the truth is, we first did this show in two thousand and six, wow. and the last time we did the show was in two thousand and six. Oh, so man. this is actually the first time we revisited this show in over fifteen years. So um, it's not one I've been doing. Over and over, and actually, it's it's very exciting for exactly that reason. And in a lot of ways, it feels like a brand new show because I'm uh, I was in my 40s the first time we did it, and now I'm in my 60s, and uh, these songs are just richer and deeper. No.
0: And the, the, the keys seem so much higher. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that always happens as, uh, as a decade and a half goes by. Um, what was the impetus to bring this one back then? Because I, I know you have... Laziness. <laughs> Didn't want to write something new.
1: Didn't want to ever create a brand new show. Yeah. Um, no, it's just really, I've been working with Sarah Louise Lazarus, my director, and Alex Rybeck. Alex Rybeck and I will have been working together 39 years in June. Wow. Um, so there's really no excuse for the mistakes we make. Um, anyway, <laughs> we've, uh, you know, th- we've just done a number of these kind of theme shows over the years together. And this was one we've never done other than its premier engagement, which was at Feinstein's at the Regency all those years ago. So we just thought it's time to look at it again. And uh, and it, it is the music is just so great.
0: Well, and you mentioned the fact that, you know, whatever, 15 years, uh, 16 years after the last time you did the show, that the that the songs hit you differently. What have you noticed specifically about how the, the set list has changed from your perspective as an artist and as a human being?
1: I, well, I can tell you one one example for your Broadway audience. We have a song that's cut from the musical Barnum. And it's called So Little Time. And there's a lyric that says, where did it go? This lifetime hurrying by, when did it fly away? Um, I I, I couldn't possibly at 45 years old have, um, you know, before I'd lost both my parents, before I'd lost so many significant mentors in my life. it, It just, I didn't possibly have the gravitas to bring to that, that those words have to me now as a person. Um, so, you know, it's like, I just keep finding these wonderful places where the texture and layers go so much deeper now, which is, which is the wonderful thing about being a cabaret performer. If you, if you do it right, you, you really, your, your value only goes up over time because you have more life to bring to it. As long as your music director is willing to bring the keys down, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, As you're in the car with Alex right now, right? I am. Yes, and, yes, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm glare. I'm glaring at him. As... <laughs> yeah. Well, beyond beyond the keys changing a little bit, how no, fundamentally and they
1: haven't. We're pretty much in the original keys, except
0: <laughs> good, good. Well, beyond any potential changes, there has the show changed at all since the last time you did it, or is it pretty much the same set list and and same order and all of those things, or have you tweaked things here and there around the edges?
1: It is very much the same set list. There, there really was very little, surprisingly, that we needed to um, that we felt like we wanted to change. It it held it held up. We think it holds up. We'll find out tomorrow because we're doing it tomorrow for the first time in 15 years.
0: Yeah, and you're, you're down here in Florida where I am. You've got a couple engagements um, in Boca and in Delray Beach before you head up to Birdland on January 31st. I, I wonder, you know, Cy Coleman is such an interesting figure in theater and, and popular music and, and jazz and even classical. Why is it that you think that he has had this ability that a lot of his contemporaries uh, in the musical theater to kind of have songs work both in the theatrical sense, but also have some crossovers um, that did kind of become standards and even some pop hits from his musical theater writing catalog. Obviously, he had a pop writing career before musical theater, but um, what is it about his specific style of songwriting that has kind of allowed him to do things that people of his generation of musical theater writers didn't do nearly as much as, you know, the writers of a decade or two previously had?
1: Well, the the very first thing that pops into my mind. Sister's a great question because it really is unique. Um, I mean, he did have standalone standards, but he also had so many songs from his musicals um, stand out. You know, outside of the context of the show, I I have to believe the lyricist gets a lot of credit for that. He worked with, you know, he wasn't just married to one particular lyricist. Um, He worked with so many, so many wonderful women like Carolyn Lee and and Dorothy Fields um and also you know he had this jazz sensibility at at his heart so uh, there was something that seemed to transcend Broadway um and then beyond that as a Broadway composer he was such a chameleon I mean his his styles were so different he could write rhythm and blues for the life and then jazz for City of Angels and um comic operetta for on um, the 20th century you know he he just really you couldn't pinch pigeonhole him it's um so i don't know the answer but um i do know i mean uh, the album that really hooked me to cy coleman was a sweet charity i was mm-hmm. seven when my parents gave me that <laughs> um wonderful gift to give to a seven year old um but it really was and uh th- that um that sound as much as you know it just galvanized me um was was revolutionary on broadway that was the first time that jazz that jazz contemporary sound was in a broadway score so he had something that was relevant he had currency that was relevant um in the pop scene beyond the broadway stage from the get go i don't know i can't analyze beyond that <laughs> except to say no. that I, I mean i just marvel at um his the diversity of 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 all that he did
0: well and for you as a performer who is doing a a show with i'm assuming um songs from his entire catalog what is what kind of opportunities does that present you to kind of dive into all of these different genres and and musical styles that he liked to write in but for you as a as a performer you kind of get to dip your toe into a lot of these different areas as well how exciting is that for you uh, to kind of vary things up in in one evening focused on one composer.
1: It, it's great. I mean, it, it, it's one of the, uh, it, it, it's why if I enjoy a particular artist's work I, and they pick a composer that I enjoy, um, it's always fascinating to go and see what songs they choose because these songs to me are incredibly personal um, and another person would pick an entirely different set of songs. Um, one of the things I really am enjoying is the, I gave myself the opportunity to sing some of the songs that women sing in the broadway shows that they're from sure like uh, i'm way ahead from seesaw and uh, with every breath i take from city of angels um, you know i so there there are songs that speak to me that i wouldn't get a chance to sing in them if i was doing the book show but uh, i do get to make them my my own my own take on them
0: Yeah. What is that process like for you to get into the story and emotions of a song that is written for a specific character in a specific show in a specific, you know, given circumstances? Obviously, as a cabaret artist, you can interpret it however you want. But um, so much of a cabaret performance is still telling a story, even if it might not be the one um, from the show that the song comes from. What is your process to kind of get yourself into the story or get the song into the story that you're telling in that particular evening?
1: Well, I always start first and foremost with the lyric. Um, My director, Sarah, always says it's a gift. If you don't know the song first and you just read Mm. a lyric, because if the lyric sounds like something that you would personally say, you know, so many people fall in love with the melody of a song and aren't really paying attention to the lyric. Um, but as a cabaret performer, you kind of start with, well, I start with the lyric. Um, it needs to be a, an I statement that would be coming out of me. I need to be a believable narrator, and it needs to be representing my point of view about life, unless I'm playing a character within a song. Right. Um, but f- for the most part, um, the these. I, for instance, right now, I'm also doing a Sondheim show, and I don't say... A thing other than welcome the audience and after that everything out of my mouth is a sondheim lyric because that's how that's how personal the lyrics need to be for me um, as a performer so with every breath i take there's absolutely no reason why a man can't sing it it's just not assigned to a man in the broadway musical um and same thing with i'm way ahead there's no reason a man can't sing it and i and the lyric I certainly know what it's like to have been in love and to realize that I'm it's better off. I'm better off to have been in love and lost than to have not been in love. I'm I'm ahead for that, for the heart gets hurt and bruised, but uh, gets stronger. And, uh, you know, so I always start with the the story. Yeah, we're storytellers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you mentioned one of the best musical theater storytellers in, in Stephen Sondheim. I know you just did um, at least a couple of, of concerts of your Sondheim show uh, this past weekend. Um, obviously, that show, that evening, that cabaret takes on a little bit of a different um, import or emotions because of of Sondheim's recent passing. Um do you, did you kind of look at those songs uh, a little differently because of that um, than you might have six months ago?
1: No, that I, the show was set and uh, we had so hoped he would come. And uh, interestingly, timing wise, I did the show for the first time in New York City on November 10th. And the last email I got from him was on November 9th saying that he was stuck in Connecticut and that he had uh, sprained his ankle and was not going to be able to come in and see my show and was not going to be able to see assassins and was it was going to be missing press previews for company. But, you know, he said, I'm just sorry it worked out that way, but thank you for doing the show. And that was the last email he sent. And then, you know, he was gone two weeks later. So uh, my, my feeling is just that I was on his radar at all. <laughs> I know (laughs) it is um, just breathtaking to me that that's just um, I just feel like I got very lucky and that he, you know, had seen my work. He came and saw our show um, at the Laurie Beachman Theater when I was singing with K.T. Sullivan and uh, we taped that show for PBS and he watched that. And uh, he he was very aware of everything I was doing and um, very encouraging. And that's, you know, and and as you've probably seen, this outpouring of the letters he's written to people Mm -hmm. and the various ways he's encouraged. I was somebody shouted up from the stage in Chicago. They said, Did you know Stephen Sondheim So I was telling them this story. I don't know it was at the very end of the show. I don't talk in this show, but if someone just shouted it up. and I said, Well, I can answer that. And I said he was very encouraging to young artists. And I realized as it came out of my mouth. And I said, Well, younger. I said, when you're when you're 91. Everybody's <laughs> younger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah so but there I am calling myself a young artist. No, anyway, no. no. Um, well, but it was just nice to to have have him even be aware.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Cy Coleman passed away two or three years before you did yes. this show. Did you have any uh, interactions or a relationship with him like yes. you did with Mr. Sondheim?
1: I did. There were there not quite well, uh, different but memorable for me. The uh, the, uh, the first time I met Cy Coleman. Oh my gosh! Do you really want to hear this story?
0: I don't know. You tell <laughs> uh, me.
1: Uh, how how long is your show? <laughs> bring um, it. Uh, no. Uh, so Alex and Sarah and I did our first show together theme show in 1989 and it was a tribute to Betty Condon and Adolph Green and we didn't Mm -hmm. know when we picked that theme that that was the 50th anniversary of their partnership in show business we didn't know that but because of the timing of it I got swept into a whole bunch of tributes to Betty Condon and Adolph Green including one at the Berkshire Theatre Festival so I wrote up and did my sound check at the on the stage and then went to the Red Lion Inn where we were staying and they said we have for the Company, we have a table set up for you to go have dinner and you can relax before the show. So I went down to this table and I was seated next to Lauren Bacall, Tyne Daly, and oh, Cy Coleman. Of course. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> and I, I'm 30, you know. <laughs> I just and I I didn't know what to say. And Lauren Bacall, bless her heart, just twisted her body torso right at me and said so you're the 13 year old who's been getting all the reviews <laughs> and she said tell me everything and I said well I don't know I can I started doing cabaret I wanted to do Broadway but that wasn't working out so and I started doing a cabaret act and she turned she goes sigh why can't the kid get a Broadway show and he just shrugged you know and that that was the night I met him and I, I, I know I just blathered on about having the cast album with Street Charity when I was seven. But he, he did come to see KT in the, uh, 1998. We opened a cabaret room called the Firebird Cafe. And he came with his wife, Shelby, and he invited us over his table. And we, we stayed till they closed the restaurant talking. And he told some wonderful stories. Again, uh, you know, I was blathering on about Sweet Charity and uh, he told me some stories about Dorothy Field that are pretty, pretty memorable. And we, I tell one in the, um, in our show. Oh, lovely. Um, and so, and he, he also gave us a lovely quote to use to promote our show. He was very, very, very kind. Yeah. That and was, it, that was my encounter with sai
0: Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's so interesting because you talk about the stories that, that Cy had and so much of what cabaret is, is telling stories, whether that's through the songs or if you do a show that does have the the banter in between things or has some sort of arc, unlike your Sondheim show, it, it just seems like there's this differentiation between musical theater and 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 jazz and cabaret but it really is all serving the same purpose all of the people and the artists in that world are storytellers in one way or another when you put a show together whether it's one where you do talk in between songs or it's one where you let the music do the talking for you how do you try to to tell us the 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 story how do you structure what it is that you're communicating with the audience is that something that you just start with the songs you want and then you put it together and see how it works or do you start with an with an arc and an intention and then figure out which songs fit in on that journey
1: yes <laughs> all of the above <laughs> yeah um that, that was a great question um one of the ways sarah and alex and i work and it's the way we worked on the cy Coleman show is that we each make a list of you know in their case it's they mix a list of songs that they think are appropriate for me or that they think would be a good fit. And and that's very helpful for me because a lot of times they're suggesting songs. I don't know. They're both um, very scholarly on in you know, a repertoire and, and I make my own list and then we compare notes and see where they overlapped and whatnot. Um, I have a, a joke that I think um that every song is a love song and every song falls into one of four categories. I want to be in love. I am in love. I was in love and New York, New York, Um, which, which (laughs) is a humor, a humorous idea, but it's also kind of the arc underneath almost every show that I do, which is, you know, there usually are the, I'm getting to know the audience. I'm singing about falling in love. And and love. And then there's usually the part that has, you know, falling out of love in one form or another and and surviving. And, you know, the, usually the arc follows something like that. And the New York, New York, that just means there have to be surprises everywhere. Um, and cabaret, the rules are meant to be broken. So, you know, try not to be too, too linear about it. But, um, you know, it was Andrea Marcovici was the first time I saw a cabaret act that was as satisfying to me as a Broadway show. It was her World War II show, and I it it she did every it it did everything for me as an audience member that a Broadway musical does, and she did it all on her own with the storytelling and the the structure, and that's what birthed um, the show. You know that inspiration helped Alex and Sarah and I create um, the 1959 Broadway songbook, which was our second show together. And um, that very much has the structure of boy meets girl, boy loses girl, um, you know, much like a musical comedy would. But yeah. y- yes, th- it is to me, it is the difference between jazz and cabaret as an evening of entertainment. Jazz rarely, in my experience, has had any sensibility about uh, an arc happening. And and oftentimes the singer isn't even really connecting per se to the audience um, in the way that it cabaret singer a good cabaret singer is you absolutely have to have the audience there you have to you know it's um they are the scene partner it's um it's almost hard to rehearse cabaret because you need those faces to sing to and connect to And, and jazz musicians can sometimes be just fine in their own company and you know you're voyeuristically listening to what they're doing they're not um Sometimes I'm done that's a i'm a, a very general there are also or so all sorts of exceptions to that rule, but
0: well, you've got so much of of his career in his his repertoire in this show, I'm sure but from a theater perspective, you know we don't see a ton of his shows done regularly. We had the recent revival of On the 20th Century. Sweet Charity got a nice little bit of promo in the Fosse-Verdon um, uh, TV series. Mm-hmm. The Life is happening at is coming up this season. Um, but very rarely do we see a lot of his shows getting produced either on Broadway or at major regional theaters. If there was a show out of his entire musical theater canon that you think that theater lovers might be overlooking and should um, go out and find a cast album and listen to more than any other. Is there, is there one that jumps out to you?
1: Well, Seesaw is the one that comes to my mind. If, if someone, if anyone listening is not familiar with that score, I still remember getting that cast album when I was in high school um, and my peers in high school were Liz and Ann Hampton Calloway. I mean, oh, Liz okay. was a year younger, and Anne was a year older. So I hung out with really great people. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a good to... <laughs>
0: that's a good group to uh, be spending time with in high school. As Ann would say, "Oh, did I just drop a couple names?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but you know, we used to get in the car and drive down to in, into downtown Chicago to a place called Rose Records, and they had these discount bins where the records were a dollar, and um, they were just. Oh, Uh, you know, hundreds of cast albums, and we would just pick them up, not knowing what we were getting. Um, That's how I heard Redhead for the first time. And it's how I heard Seesaw for the first time. I had no idea what it was about. And, um, you know, that album, there's just not a bad track on it. It's, um, which I could also say about Sweet Charity. um, There's just not a bad, uh, no, not a clunker. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. um that and I would love to
0: see a revival of it. I never have gotten to
1: see a production of um, seesaw. I wish uh, on would do that.
0: Yeah, I would be fine if they did every Cy Coleman show, because the fact that we haven't seen a City of Angels revival, uh, even though one's been Mm. rumored for a long time, and that's just put that one in the list and let's just keep going back to them because I feel like we need to. Um, So to wrap uh, wrap this up, Jeff, you are coming back to New York with a show at the end of January, like we talked about. If people are um, interested in coming to Birdland to see this show, um, other than obviously having the incredible, iconic music of Cy Coleman, what do you think that they can anticipate from this show? What kind of um, feelings, what kind of vibe, what kind of uh, stories can they can they anticipate hearing on the 31st? Well,
1: first of all, you know it's it's just great to be at Birdland. If you haven't been there before, it's just one of the great rooms. It's got that tiered supper club seating, so you know the audience. Every seat is a good seat, and you know for the performer, it's just electric because you see every face. Um, I'm going to have four fantastic musicians on stage. I'm going to have you know the national treasure, um, Jay Lenhart, on bass, and joining Alex and me for some vocals. So there'll be some three part harmony stuff. Um, I've got Ray Marchika on drums and uh, Mark Fanoff on sax and flute. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, there's Alex Ryback. And if you've never, I I know that I'm sure all of your listeners know Alex Ryback's arrangements. But if you don't and don't know what an arranger can do with a song, come and hear what he does to the song Witchcraft. Uh, Just as an example, it's just an absolute reinvention of um, as as um, the New York Times review said, he's taken it out of the boxing ring <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and tapped into it with um, x-ray vision. So it, it's, um, you know, it, our intention is to conjure fun, laughs and good times, you know, <laughs> in the vernacular of sweet charity. Yeah. So I think I think it's a very entertaining show. Um, there are, you know, you're going to hear a lot of songs, you know, like Witchcraft and The Best is Yet to Come and Hey, Look Me Over, um, When In Rome, You Fascinate Me. So there, there are a lot of standards in there that people will know. And then like that song from Barnum that I mentioned, there are some surprises that um, were surprises to us that are. There's a song that Cy Coleman wrote both. It's one of his rare lyrics, both music and lyrics called Somebody that's um, a very very wonderful personal statement to make that is much more meaningful to me now that I'm in my sixties than it was when I was in my forties. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, I I'm just so excited. we Alex and I have just come from our band rehearsal here in Boca. Uh, we, we open here tomorrow and just to hear these arrangements with great musicians is, um, it's just, it, it's, it's, It's as exciting to my ears as it was the first time I heard Sweet Charity when I was seven. I mean, it's really like tapping into this bliss that is very, very deep for me.
0: Well, I'm glad that you got back to this show after a decade and a half and that (laughs) folks in Florida and New York will uh, get to hear it and maybe potentially uh, in other places as well. Now that you're back into the swing of things uh, with Cy Coleman. Jeff, thank you so much for talking about this. This was was wonderful, and I I wish you the absolute best uh, on down here in Florida, of course, but also on the thirty-first Birdland.
1: Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate your interest in the show and uh, your time for having me on. And great questions. I really. Um, <laughs> of course, about Cy
0: Coleman and cabaret, yeah. but my other favorite topic—me. Yeah, <laughs> even better, even better. That's, that's why you get into cabaret, so you can do those things as well. That's, so, uh, oh, my favorite
1: song is "I, I, I, I," yeah. or "I was always on my mind." Yeah. Oh, I like that one.
0: Very good. <laughs>